This is Dollars and Sensibility with Tom Stone. And we're gonna talk about what you really want. And at the end of the day, how to get what you really want is to understand money. Guild Mortgage, NMLS number 3274, Tom Stone, NMLS number 257849. The information contained in these podcasts are for educational purposes only and do not necessarily express the opinions of Guild Mortgage. So welcome to another episode of Dollars and Sensibility. And, you know, I thought it was time that we actually start talking about stocks and bonds, the market, numbers, math, because we all want to get rich quick. We want to get money right out of the gate. So I called Scott Phillips and said, would you join me? And he said, well, of course, I've got all the tips and tricks. Right, Scott? Did I set that up right, by the way? Did I set that up right? That's perfect. (laughs) Scott, what do you do for a living? I'm a financial advisor. I work with the Phillips Gardner Rickman Financial Group of Wells Fargo Advisors, and we give advice to individuals, families, corporations, foundations on how to invest their funds and achieve whatever financial goal they're looking to do with those funds. Now, you said whatever goal. And yesterday I did hear you uh, talk in a, in a previous setting and you mentioned helping someone buy a new car. No, well, no, not exactly. <laughs> okay. If, okay. If, Let's set this up right then. If that's their goal, sure. Okay. But, Obviously a client that's already investing with you, that's one piece and part that you said, Hey, I'm going to help them with that. Right. I actually have gone car shopping with the client. So you'll help in any way yep. if that works for Absolutely. you. Now, before we get into the actual nuts and bolts of, you know, investing stocks and stuff like that, I love your story. I love when people say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start my own business, which is, you know, in some respects, exactly your story. Yeah, thank you. How, how did, what did you do? So what's, what's your magic button that says, I'm going to become a financial planner, stocks, bonds, financial, all this. And, you know, your, your start was this beautiful, amazing story, yeah, right? I learned about it a little later in life. I mean, I, I'd gone to college to study other things. I wanted to manage private golf clubs. That was my- mm initial goal. Um, loved golf. I mean, it was my happy place growing up. So I kind of wanted to do that for work. Then I got into it and I was like, this isn't as happy when you're working behind the scenes. So um, I found the profession of financial advising and realized very quickly I had to um, knock doors to really start my business, find clients and I want to go down this path for a second before I keep, I keep stepping back because you say things that are just really awesome. So the question in school is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Well, the question is, what do you want? I love golf. So I'm going to be in golf now, just so I relate to that. I love motorcycles. So I want to go own a Honda shop. Absolutely. And I went down that path and went, wait a minute, there's a whole lot behind this. That's not as fun or it's different or the uh, thing. So similar story. It sounds like. Yes. In the setting we were in yesterday, I talked about building a personal mission statement mm-hmm. of what you really want, what your core values are in life and what you really want to achieve. And um, the golf business didn't fit that for me. Hmm. Because why? I was working all the time. I didn't have enough time for my family. Um, I, I love Lake Powell mm-hmm. and have to go at least once a summer. That was not, I was not able to do that in the golf mm. business. I mean, those guys and gals work really hard all summer long from May 1st to Labor Day, pretty much. And mm-hmm. then they get arrested. But um, yeah, I just didn't have the time I wanted. So one of the things that I think that I've started saying, and I want your take on this, is I say, rather than the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what lifestyle do you want when you grow up? Yeah, I would say that's true. What lifestyle, what, what core values do you want mm-hmm. to have as part of your life? 
what are some core values that you were you did, I don't think you switched your core values, but you acknowledged them, I think. Yeah, I mean, one big thing for me was I had to work every weekend. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted weekends for my family. And I took a hard look at that and said, yeah, I really would like to have, you know, at least Sundays off mm-hmm. with the family. And I was unable to do that in my mm-hmm. previous profession. And that was one key thing that made me switch. So you literally did go into golf. I'm going to try this out. I'm going to make this a career. And that's when you went, uh-oh. Yeah, I had a master's degree in hotel, restaurant, institutional management and was all set for the career path of managing the elite private golf clubs in the world um, and got into that. And I, I did like it. I, mean, I, I can't say that I didn't like it, but I just knew that it was straining my family relationship, my time, and I had to make the change. And by the way, if anyone hears any background sound, yes, we are doing this in a construction zone. <laughs> I, I'm in my new office and we're not done yet. So I thought, hey, it's authentic. And the new office is beautiful for those who need to come down and check it out. Yeah, it's we had a lot of funds. It's yeah. everything we could make it at 1926. Very cool. <laughs> so yes, there will be some authentic construction noises in the background. I thought, heck, why not? This is this is a real podcast. So so let's speak a little bit more to, so I have a son who's a sophomore, I guess going to be a junior in, or is a junior now in college. And that mentality, and that mentality is different. He's like, man, I'm in this class with all these other students. And he's like, I feel stupid or everyone's doing this. And so you had some, probably some other students and people that you were around, some peer influence that maybe there was some competition, maybe there was some, we all were, you know, thinking the same thing, going the same direction, and we all had this. And then afterwards you switched. So what's your advice? You know, how, how do you how do you navigate through life choices? Uh, not that you made a wrong choice, it was just your path, right. but you made a switch, a, a pretty, you know, 90 degree angle switch. So what would you say to yourself or my son who's gonna be a junior knowing what you know now about that time of your life? I'd say, that, first of all, the more education you get, the more options you'll have. Um, even if you're narrowing down to a specialty, if you're educated, you'll have more options down the road. And it's never too late to switch. Mm-hmm. Um, when I made the switch to this career versus what I was doing before, there were people that were like, what? Why are you doing Why are you making this change? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a great life in the career you've chosen. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know individuals feel things inside and have to make their own decisions. So we can't really judge others and what they're doing, but you know, let's see what happens and find, see the fruits of their labors, I guess. So take us to the day or week or month that you said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm now going to go into financial planning. What was it? What I know specifically exactly when it happened. I, I knew I had to resign my position where I was. I just was not happy after all this time and energy and yeah it's just so it's such an interesting dynamic i think all my schooling and i had been working in a private club near aston colorado for three years three summers just came off the summer it was about about labor day and i was Ooh. like i gotta do something different mm-hmm. so i resigned my position um actually uh with my wife we decided to move to heber city mm-hmm. at the same time what was that choice so hey we, we, we drove through it was pretty or what, what, what made that choice? Well, I'd, I'd driven through the valley a few times before in, in college and things and knew it was a beautiful place. And I always thought this would be a great place to retire. Hmm. Then I thought after my experience, why don't I just live there? Hmm. Let's just live our life where we want to live and be where we want to be. Made that choice. 
walked out on the patio after resigning and there was a, um, a regional president for a large firm who was a member of the club sitting there. And I told him I resigned and he said, well, what are you going to do now with your life? I said, well, I think I'm going to apply at Glen Wild and Promontory and I'm going to be living in Heber City. So it makes sense to do that. He said, well, why don't you take the, they take my card and I'll get you an interview with, with our firm and see if that's something you'd like to do. So still in the golf industry? No, he was with he was with a financial firm. Large. Oh, I misunderstood that. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So I took his card and spoke to. So it was that conversation that made a segue. That's that conversation, and we're still friends today. Um, he just retired, and I've given him some gifts over the years, thanking wow. him for being a mentor to me. But um, he saw something in me I didn't know existed, or just mm -hmm. you know wasn't even aware of. Did not even really know what the this business was. But I love the, the people aspect of it. I love being able to help individuals, help families, um, you know, be that person for them, the yeah. right person and helping them manage their financial needs. So you moved. Moved. Moved to Heber. Here we go. Here we go. We're going to go do it. I knew we just, our son was born and I just had started my new business, had a new house. We did to pay for it. So I had to get to work. <laughs> and how did you get to work? I heard the story a little bit yesterday. Yeah, it started by knocking doors. You knocked doors. In the valley. I, I pulled walk businesses and I knocked doors. Um, Is that what they told you to do? Was that how to do it? No, I kind of made up my own way. Uh, at the time, we were doing a lot of cold calling. Mm -hmm. And I did cold calling for about five minutes. That was all <laughs> I could handle. And I was just thinking, if someone cold calls me, I don't want to talk to them. Is this like that movie with Will Smith? Is it the same thing? Kind of the same thing. Him and his son were homeless, and he's like, I've got a job, and I just started calling in the phone book. and Basically. Okay. Uh, I mean, I wasn't homeless at the time. Right. I right. almost was homeless in 2008. Mm. It's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just started calling people, contacting people, um, you know, building my client base. And, yeah, this is what I'm doing today, and I love it. Keep doing it. Tell us your story of your first client. My very first client was a friend from Colorado mm -hmm. um, who I'd known a long time. And I just went to meet with them and I was brand new. And, you know, I, I, know, I know it takes trust from people to invest with somebody that's brand new. In this yeah. Life. And they said, you know, I've known you your whole life and you've been a good kid. And now you're growing up and I trust you. Hmm. And we've done really well with their money. They're still clients today after 18 years. Uh, but a lot of really good stories of you know people just putting faith in someone and, um, again, me not taking that faith for granted. How about your first uh, knocking door client? Yeah, I was knocking doors in Midway, Utah, and came upon, uh, just you know, knocked the door and I said, hey, I'm a financial advisor and I'd love to help you. Do you have investment accounts that you need help with? He's like, sure, come on in. And <laughs> spread out his six statements from all these firms he'd worked with in the past and said, I'm sick of having all this stuff spread everywhere. Can you consolidate it into one place and take care of it for me? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Matter of fact. Matter of fact. Um, again, he's still a client today. And these are the type of relationships we build. Um, I'd say it is a relationship business where I'm able to help somebody understand them and their needs and align them with the products and services they need to get there. 
So someone would say, myself included in some respects, you mean someone's going to, who's got a million bucks or more is going to trust some young kid that knocks on his door. What in the world? Yeah, that, that happened. Well, I, and I wasn't <laughs> a young kid at that time. I mean, it was probably 30. That's a young kid to some people. That's true. But yeah, I think it's worked out for them. Did you have a certain spiel that you would do? You know, what was your magic touch? There was something about you that made him say, ah, sure, you can help me out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the spiel was. I just, I really genuinely wanted to help people. And I think people could feel that. So authenticity. Yeah. Be real about it. Yeah. Be who you are. Yeah, I think so. That's my experience with you is that I, you, I take you, excuse me. I'm going to say this, it sounds negative. It's like, take me for who I am. This is who I am. Yeah. And that's not to say it's a negative, like, you know, I'm a rough and tumble guy. It's like, no, this, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not faking anything about it. Right. I'd say that's who I am. I think that's been some, some value, if not the number one of your success. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. I'll help you get there. Yeah. You can see, and, and people say I look like a baby all the time. I look young. <laughs> I think it's because I don't have any lies to cover up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that's, oh, did you like my son? My son's like that. My youngest son. Hey, did you actually go and do this? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, you did. Why'd you do that? I'm uh, pretty stupid. Okay. Oh, it was a story's done. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. I learned that with my dad. When I was young. Mm -hmm. He was always very forgiving and just moved on. I move one on. time I, I wrecked the car. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could have made some elaborate story, but I walked in and said, dad, I was down by just feeding world was icy and I hit the guardrail and I said, all right, we'll fix it. Glad you're safe. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> that wasn't so hard. That's good, dad. So what was this 2008 reference? You mentioned something about 2008. So you started what year? 2006 is when I really got rolling. Um, so two years at the time, um, I was working with Wachovia securities, which Wachovia bank had just bought the largest mortgage company in California, Golden West, mm -hmm. who had a product you probably remember was the pick a payment mortgage. Mm -hmm. And uh, they paid, I think it was 25 billion or something. Negam loans. Mortgage company. Well, within two years, it was worth zero. Yep. Literally. Literally worth zero. Um, they had also recently acquired uh, AG Edwards, which was a very reputable, smaller mm -hmm. firm. Acquired them for about 25 billion. And uh, wow. In the bottom of 2008, Wachovia Securities, as part of Wachovia Bank, Wachovia Bank was in big trouble because of the, the mortgage mm -hmm. business they purchased, uh, were acquired by Wells Fargo. The whole business, the bank, the brokerage, everything for $50 billion. Hmm. So they just made these two acquisitions just, just uh, a few years earlier for $50 billion. Wells Fargo bought the whole kit and caboodle for $50 billion. Hmm. I know that. Um, everybody has a memory of 2008, what they were yep. doing, where they were, the struggles that it was, yep. um, you know, the Dave Ramsey classes were full. Yep. People were like, how can I figure that? That was the catalyst for him to be successful. When I remember sitting in a meeting with some financial advisors who were pretty seasoned and they were actually brought to tears, very emotional at saying, you know, I've done everything that I've been told to do for my clients and they're hurting. Mm -hmm. It was a really hard time. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the time, I didn't know if I was going to survive or not in this business. And I have a lot of great clients who stuck with me through that and through the years after. Why? Why did it stick with you? Um, I think we just stuck together. You know, we got through it together. That's really all I can, I can, I can say. I mean, I don't, I don't, you communicated with them. 
Yeah, we communicated. We hey, here's what's going on. When things were hard, I called, picked up the phone and called. And mm-hmm. I think it's one thing that people do like about me is that I'll call them good times mm-hmm. and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not always good news coming from your financial advisor when mm-hmm. the markets are up and down. Uh, but we talk to each other, communicate. I'm never, you know how I am. I'll, I'll ask you hard questions. Mm-hmm. I'm not offended by the mm-hmm. answer and you're not offended by mm-hmm. what I say. Nope. Communication is key. Yep. And listening. And listening. People think communication is talking. Right. Communication is mostly listening if it's appropriately done. Well, first listen to understand, then to be understood, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So 2008 was tough. When did, you, when did it start coming out for you? Was it was it a, a year, a month? I'd say 2010 to 2011 is when things really turned around. Three years. Yeah. Um, I just kept working hard and visiting with clients, being with them, being present with them. And um, that's what people want. And this is, you know, someone with them. Meeting. Tell me what's going on. Help me. Help me see what's the next step. Yeah. Hmm. There's some valuable yeah. information right there. Ended up partnering with my. Most people cower, by the way. In other words, like if a mortgage guy, if the if the loan had something comes up that's tough, what do I say? Usually choose maybe to not say anything, and then it doesn't go away. It's like you just pick up the phone. Hey, guess what? This popped up on your credit, or this situation happened, or the appraisal didn't come in high enough, or something like that. What are some options we can work through it? Absolutely. I do think about um, in. 2013, I ended up partnering with uh, Anthony Gardner, mm-hmm. who's my, my partner today. Why, why, why partner? How come you didn't just own your own? Why, why would you partner? Well, actually, we, we both partnered with um, a gentleman by the name of Steve Slatter, who was retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his wife at the time was not well health-wise. Um, she actually ended up passing away a few years after we partnered up. But he was getting older, looking to retire took each of us separately to lunch and said, you know, I'd like to retire. I have this client base. I'd love to um, partner with you, but I I want to partner with you and someone else. Who would you partner with? And I said, Anthony Gardner. And I guess Anthony had the same lunch experience and he said, Scott Phillips. Hmm. And we've been partners ever since. And he's amazing. I trust him a hundred percent with my clients. If something were to happen to me, and as you start aging and things happen and mm-hmm. your clients are worried, they want to make sure that mm-hmm. they're going to be taken care of. So we do have a succession plan in place to, to do that. So, so you that's how you build a business. Yeah. You knock some doors, talk to some people you knew, one client at a time, at a time. built it. And now you have what? Now what is it? Well, what's your measurement of success? As you know, there's, there's usually numbers or, or value. What's the value of success? Well, you the don't... value of our business now, I mean, we, we have 560 clients approximately. 560. So that was a combination of all three of your efforts, right? The original, and then you two brought bringing some in, and then acquiring new ones. Yeah, we manage currently about 850 million in assets. 850 million in assets. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe this is, I don't know where I can ask questions and not to make sure you don't get in trouble with anybody. But do you have certain, like, we have a, a one product or one place or one mutual fund or one thing that they mostly, mostly use, or is it really each one is so different? It really is. Each one is so different. Hmm. We do have a core set of managers that we'll use because um, I'm not doing the daily trading in most accounts myself. Mm-hmm. There are clients I work with that will do some trading in their accounts, uh, but we use managers, um, you know, third-party managers to manage 
allocations and assets. Let me make sure we understand what that means. So I have a manager, a manager of what? Well, there's people a lot smarter than you or me, Tom, in <laughs> New York that have Shocker. degrees from MIT and things that <laughs> um, are managing these portfolios. And if, let's say if you want to invest in large cap dividend stocks, well, there's professional- Which is big businesses, so you're saying, yeah. large cap. Well, there's a professional somewhere that does that 100% of the time, all day long. Mm -hmm. They eat, drink, and sleep it. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's who we use. They could probably use your lifestyle lesson, by the way, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but, but so someone knows that much better than you. Right. And then there's multiple managers of different, is, would I be right to say that there's going to be maybe a healthcare one? There might be a, oh, yeah. a, a, a technology one. There's a, right? Everyone has their specialty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they say, hey, this company's doing well, or this one's an up and coming one, or this one's this one's not doing so hot, so we drop this one. Is that what we're saying? They manage it that way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And the whole idea is at the end of the day is to say, what is my annual return on investment? Is that or what's our measuring stick to a manager being successful? Uh well the market has said let's use indices to show, you know, if a manager's doing well or not. Mm -hmm. And about 10% of managers will actually beat their indices. Hmm. And that's where there's a, a large debate of, you know, should we just use index funds? Mm -hmm. Isn't that easier? Well, you can, but even Vanguard um, a few years ago put out a white paper that said, you know, what, what is the value of a, of a financial advisor in your financial life? And they pinned it at about 3% per year. And that comes in as your, your asset allocation and mm -hmm. how that is managed. Um, the advice that you're given when times are difficult mm -hmm. as far as, you know, staying in the market or what you need to be buying at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the relationship, somebody to call up and bounce ideas from. Mm -hmm. So that adds about 3% to your uh, value. And so if you were getting seven, you'd get 10 is what you're saying. Right. And on, on average, I'd say most advisors now charge about a 1% management fee. Okay. Um, to assist clients and help them. So net value of 2%. Right. So, you know, and Wells Fargo has all this data. And a few years ago, when the Obama administration was trying to put in the um, best interest regulation, mm -hmm. and they were saying it's all about cost, and the lowest cost investment is in the best interest of the client. Wells was able to show them that it's not true. Mm -hmm. you know, there's there are investments that cost money that are actually way better for clients to invest. Mm -hmm. and we help the clients to navigate what what is best for them. So explain a little more of this Obama thing. Tell us, tell us more about that. So some of us nod our heads and go, oh, but we don't know what that means. What is yes. it? What was it? Well, there was an, a law they were trying to put in place um, in the Obama administration in 2016 that advisors had to work in the best interest of the client. And sure. what that meant Consumer is, protection. Yeah, lowest cost investment all the time and some other things. Well, it didn't, it didn't stand up in court. But we do have our own regulatory authority, which is FINRA. Mm -hmm. And FINRA has come up with the best interest regulation now, which we do abide by. And every client gets a letter when we open an account saying, we are going to work in your best interest. Mm -hmm. That the recommendations that we make will be based on information you gather from you. The better the information you give to us, yep. the better our information we give back. Again, the communication thing. And... Uh, we are going to rec make recommendations that are in your best interest. And that's the end of it. That's yeah, it. That's it. Not, not always the least cost investment. Right. But we'll find what we feel is the best investment for your situation. 
And that cost is commission? Like commission or fees or you know, annual annual expenses to the client. So the so the income side of of a financial planner is is commission based. Mm-hmm. The pro, the the entity that's giving the money is fee based. And and rate but tell me the yeah, money. Well, who makes the money, I guess, and how you make the money? Um, we charge a management fee, usually instead of commission. Okay. So we're not getting paid per trade. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, there are still advisors that work under, a, you know, you get paid every time you trade the account mm-hmm. type of deal. Mm-hmm. That's not what we do in our business. Okay. Uh, most things we we provide clients that will we'll have in an account based on a fee. So we're charging a 1% annual fee. We can trade in and out of different things in the account, not worrying about how much we're going to make per trade. Mm-hmm. So I really feel like it aligns our interest more with the client and that we can you know, manage the account for longer term growth than bigger picture stuff. You know, hey, what am I going to sell you today? Yeah. Bigger picture stuff on the long run. Am I right to say that uh, the value of a, uh, of a financial planner is long term? Is, is retirement kind of always the end all uh, conversation? A lot of times it is. And, you know, we are. And I like to tell my clients is I'm managing your liquidity. I'm managing your, your liquid assets because there's other things you have, mm-hmm. real estate and mm-hmm. um, different things that people have. Well, I'm managing what you have as liquid assets. Mm-hmm. What you want to supplement with your un- income with in retirement. Um, if there's a spending goal that you have, we're trying to reach that, you know, here in the market. Um, but retirement becomes really a big focus for a lot of folks. Um, most people don't have a pension anymore. So they're looking at their own 401k savings as providing the income they need. In right. So walking individuals through that um, with a foundation, it may be, you know, if they're trying to institute another program or build a thing. So we're trying to reach that goal through market investments, but it's really liquid investments that we deal in things that you can sell or buy at any time. So one thing that I have researched that I like, I have found that I call it inflationary assets. In other words, when inflation is going up, there's some things that keep up and there's other things that do not. And I have read, learned, and believe that real estate is, if not the number one, one of the top best inflationary assets. It keeps up with inflation. But then what about this long-term retirement plan in the market? Is that inflationary? Can it keep up or is there there a concern there? No, stocks is one of the best inflation assets there are. If you look historically at real estate, you know, over a hundred year period, the average return is three to 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, Heber Valley is a little higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're unique in the world. Um, over a hundred year period in the market, average return is nine to 10%. Mm. Um, so it does, you know, stocks, the price of stocks goes up with inflation. Okay. Um, when the cost of goods increases, the price of stocks actually does increase. Mm-hmm. So stocks is a very good in, inflationary hedge. Bonds, uh, not so much. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen in 2022 was the worst year for bonds in the past 60 years. That's because interest rates went up. Yep. Bond prices fell. Um, we've had, we've seen some bank failures this year yep. because of that. They were holding those assets. Yep. The balance sheets didn't align with what they were doing. So a bond, in effect, is a loan. Mm-hmm. Um, the the per, the investor is loaning their money to the bond, and they get paid back interest, and they'll get paid back 
the principal at the end of that. Which sounds very secure, by the way. Very secure. Very secure, very safe, but they don't fluctuate. Mm -hmm. So there's your risk. Yeah. So people who are very conservative in 2022, first time in 60 years, they saw that mm -hmm. in their portfolios where man, this, this conservative investment really wasn't as conservative as I thought it was. And most of those bonds will pay back the money that you paid into. Mm -hmm. it. Currently, their the bonds are sitting at really low prices at this point. And if inflation's at nine percent or anything above, you know, one, two, three percent, you're actually losing that spread. That's true, right? You're losing that spread. Yeah, but so on the inflation side, dividend stocks is an example. Mm -hmm. um, in the last two years, most dividend stocks have increased their dividends by, or dividend stocks that grow their dividends. It'd be like Johnson and Johnson, Coca Cola, mm -hmm. for example. They have increased their dividends by an average of eight percent mm -hmm. in the last two years. Now, let's make sure we understand. So, a dividend stock is where they actually pay out a dividend. They pay out a dividend. Yep. Yeah. So, there's a value of the stock, and they also pay out a dividend. Right. And value of stock tends to go up as the dividend increases over. Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm let's say I'm 55 to 65. I'm kind of contemplating today. So, so one thing that's I think is uh, I'm not going to say unfair, but if you look at the 100-year value, yes. But if you look at the last 25-year value, real estate has gone up way faster than 3 to 5%. It's gone up 20-something percent in the last couple of five years, right? Oh, yeah. So so there's a value there that you say, okay. So And, and, and I say that because my father-in-law worked for Merrill Lynch his whole life, and it was a competition. Like, he would not invest in real estate. He wouldn't. And, and I got into real estate, you know, and he was just like, oh, but, you know, it's not very good because. And, and if you were here, he'd just like, I didn't say that. Yes, he did, by the way. You know, and I do think, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, some really, but 2000, 2010, 2020, what's your, what's your take on real estate? I think every 10 years, real estate has a big move up mm. in value. And then it takes about 10 years for that to work through the system. And then there'll be another move up. And I okay. think we just... We just experienced that. Okay. And we saw it back in 2010 as well, mm -hmm. um, 2000. There's been kind of these step ups where there's a big gain in real estate and then it doesn't go very far. And then it sits for a little bit. And then it has a big gain and then it stays pretty stable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think we're in that stage now. I mean, um, prices have come down in the last year, about 20% mm -hmm. in the Hebrew Valley as far as I know. But, um, you know, it, it, assets do fluctuate in price. Nothing is going to be straight up. Um, being in Heber Valley, I think we're a little bit protected just because it's such a desirable place to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you look around the country, um, you know, real estate, yes, it's a good investment. It pays income. If you can buy investment real estate, that will pay you income. Great. Um, land, not so much. Not so much. You're just sitting on it. It's hard to sell. You're just sitting on it. You're not making any income. Mm -hmm. um, that's the same with gold, too. Mm -hmm. A lot of people ask me about gold. Well, gold's a great investment and it does keep up with inflation, but while you're waiting, it doesn't pay you anything to hold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love to own things that pay me to, to mm -hmm. own. Yep. Dividends, income producing properties are great investments. So if I'm 55 to 65 and I want to retire, I own some real estate. I have some stocks. Yeah. Again, in my mind, I'm thinking about family and friends, uh, maybe of yesteryear a little bit. It was always, you know, when you're all of a sudden you sell everything and put it into bonds. No, <laughs> that was the mentality I was, I heard anyway. I don't know if that was always true, but because you want it, you, you don't want that money to go away. Okay. So you're going to go into bonds, get your steady eddy for the rest of your 10 or 20, 30 years you're going to have. Back in the 80s, that would have been a great deal. Okay. Because you had bonds paying double digit percent return. Yep. 
Yep. And you could have just sat there and earned 10% on your, you know, principal and been fine. 10% is great. Before this year, I mean, we've been at 0% interest rates with the Federal Reserve, which had put a lot of pressure on bond interest rates. Mm -hmm. Before 2022, I mean, a 10-year treasury was under 2%. Mm -hmm. um, so that'd be really difficult. And a 10-year treasury is a bond. Yeah, 10-year treasury is a bond. It'd be hard to live on 2%. Yeah. For the next 10 years. That's not even keeping up with inflation. Mm -hmm. So I, I would suggest that, you know, everybody would need to talk to their own financial professional and get their you know specific allocation for their needs. But you need to have an allocation to stocks and, and equities as, along with, mm -hmm. with bonds and that type of situation. Have some growth along with the income. So you have a combination, some bonds, some stocks, maybe some real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that diversification all is good. Diversification helps reduce your risk and increases your return over time in all in all aspects, I believe. And that includes real estate, stock investments, bond investments. What's the hardest part about your job? What's the toughest part? I would say the hardest part is when people feel like we should know the future. Yeah. Nobody knows it's going to happen. And and really You've done this for how many years? You have your degrees, yeah. you have all these smart people, and you still don't know. No, I mean, how? you can have an idea. Well, <laughs> there's a great saying I love that. Yeah, economists make astrologists look reputable. <laughs> I mean, just think of this last year. How many economists oh, yeah. are saying we were going to be in recession by now? Mm -hmm. Everybody. And now what's everybody saying? Well, maybe not. Maybe mm -hmm. we're not going to have recession yet. Maybe it's next year. Maybe this. Well, there's always maybes. And this is a this year is a great example of that because if you sold your portfolio a year ago on fears of recession. Yeah. You missed out on 10% growth mm -hmm. in 2023. Um, so it's, again, it's a great lesson in don't try to time the market. Don't try to time when things are going to happen. Invest in a way that you can make adjustments when necessary, but don't try to you know, sell out or buy in. or that, that doesn't work. And that's where the average investor will you know, get a much lower percentage return over time mm -hmm. because they are trying to do those things. And I'd say that's, that's the hardest part of my job is just helping people stay and keeping doing good habits with their investments mm. over time. I have a, funny, a friend of mine that's a day trader and he's made a good living at it. Yeah. At least until I don't know the last two years, by the way. Yeah. What's your opinion or thoughts are on day trader full time I, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I know quite a few people that do that as a, as a living and they are quite successful. It does take a lot of time, mm -hmm. a lot of focus on what you're doing. Cause you're watching um, all the changes and making sure you're timing it right. Watching the changes and making the timing. It's a very taxed, heavy strategy hmm. because all of the, if you're, if you're trading a stock less than a year, all of the gains that you're making are taxed as income mm -hmm. versus over a year's taxes, long-term gain. Hmm. So it's a, a tax heavy strategy. Um, a lot of times with day traders, you, you don't hear their bad stories. You just hear the good ones too. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you about this one stock they picked and it went up, you know, 300%. A whole, a whole lot. And I'll tell you about the other 10 that they bought that went down mm -hmm. to, you know, 90% from what they bought it. So I don't know. It's, it works for some people. I'm not a day trader. Because? I mean, I know why, but because? I, I like the diversification, um, the asset allocation. I, I like the, the steady, more predictable returns over time. And, you know, I, I get clients that align with what I'm doing and, I don't think a day trader client would want to work with me. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, you found fine. your niche. Which is fine. Yeah. You found what works for you. Yeah. 
So if someone was considering getting into your industry, let's say they're in their 20s or 30s for, for that matter, what would your advice be? I would say work in something different first. Hmm. Why? That's what I did. I Just to get experience with people. Hmm. Experience with people and just life experiences in general are important. Um, folks that I've seen that have just focused in on finance through their through their college and there's kind of a little bit of burnout sometimes mm -hmm. in that, and they end up wanting to do something else. And maybe that's what happened with me and, and golf. Yeah. You know? But uh, I'd say life experience is important. Education is important. Um, psychology would be great. I think, in, especially in today's world, if everybody could get a psychology minor and just understand the differences of people and communication and that you're going to have people that are difficult to deal with and have people that are great to deal with. It's funny to say that I graduated in behavioral science. There you go. That was my degree, behavioral science. And people say, what is that? And I'm like, you know, on my door should not be loan officer. It should be a therapist, you know, marriage counselor. Yeah. You know, my mom died and her house is for sale. You know, grieve, grieving yeah. counselor, those kind of things on top of everything else. And your business, just like mine, is relationship business. Mm -hmm. And people do business with people they like to be with mm -hmm. that listen to them. Mm -hmm. So that's a big key part of it. So what's your advice? I want you to get, I'm going to get as a final here. What's your advice to someone who's 18 to 25? And I'm going to ask you to do the next, next demographic. You maybe tell maybe it's 25 to 45 and then it's maybe retirement. What's your advice to those particular groups of uh, demographics? Well, for the younger folks, um, if you can start saving now and investing now, you'll never regret it. Mm-hmm. You'll never regret foregoing some big purchase of a car. Maybe we were talking about yeah. before. If you're yeah. 18 years old, if you can avoid buying a new car and having that car payment mm -hmm. and invest those funds in something else, um, you'll never regret it. Mm -hmm. For the you know 25 to 35 year old, as your family's forming and you know get into a house, get into a home. You don't want to be paying someone else's retirement income. Mm -hmm. You want to be paying yourself. And even if it's a mortgage, that's what you're doing is you're building your equity, you're building mm -hmm. your, your investment. That's that's the main thing you'd want to be doing at that time of life. And then, you know, 40 to 50, start trying to get other investments built up, mm -hmm. maybe a rental property, maybe a portfolio. Um, there's a lot of great clients that I have that just bought things that they liked and knew mm -hmm. and have made a lot of money in that. Like what? When you say liked and new, what do you mean by that? Well, I have one, one individual who is a traveling businessman mm -hmm. and his, in his whole career. And he actually put about um, maybe 500000 of his own money into stocks and things that he found along the way that he liked. Mm -hmm. Companies that he used. You know, like he'd stay at Marriott Hotels, so mm -hmm. Marriott. And that 500000 has grown to millions. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say probably $4 million. Mm -hmm. um, So there are those type of stories but it's good to own stuff that you like, that you understand, um, you know, invest in, invest in those. But yet be careful with the popular stocks, right? Like Tesla real yeah, fast. Be careful with the hot stocks. Mm -hmm. um, the stock market's interesting in that stocks only go up mm -hmm. when people want to buy or sell them. Mm -hmm. So if people are being drawn toward Tesla and buying Tesla, that's great. But just have to be aware that it can go down just as fast as it goes up. Mm -hmm. And I think people have seen that through, you know, other investments like through Bitcoin and things, the things mm -hmm. that get really popular and prices go up. Well, when they're not as popular, the prices go down really, really. It's like a house. Yeah. And I'm not, and 
By the way, I'm not saying that any of these are good or bad. Correct. I apologize. I didn't mean to bait you like that. Yeah, but just be aware. Diversification helps you to weather the storms. When we talk talk about diversification, a lot of people will be like, why do I want to own that in my portfolio? Why do I want to own this? And I think of brownies. Brownies are not brownies without cocoa. Mm-hmm. If you've had cocoa just on its own, you definitely don't want to eat that, right? So right, right. Terrible. Sometimes it makes the, the brownie, maybe what that definitely makes the brownie what it is. So mm-hmm. sometimes there'll be an investment like, what do I want to own emerging markets or mm-hmm. international stocks? Or, well, sometimes that's your cocoa. Like, mm-hmm. You don't want to own it just on your own, but it's going to make your portfolio have less risk and better return over time. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, I think that was a, would you come back? Because I think there's next level conversations, you know, markets change next year is going to be something different. Yeah. It's a, it's a conversation I think to be had as we move forward. But the idea is that again, as I talk maybe a little on the real estate side, I love getting the stocks and bonds side, the investing side. And at the end of the day, America's a pretty good place. America's a great place. If, if, I mean, America's done a pretty good job. You can complain all you want, but you know, this is the best place in the world to invest in your real estate, your stocks, and your bonds to create a place and a lifestyle that fits what you want. Yeah. And I think it is up to you slash me to help people help them get what they want. Sometimes to, to help them see what they want, hear what they want, and actually be able to say, I really can do that. And then be steady in it a few years down the road and they start acquiring and, and doing it. Well, one great thing about America is we all can participate in the growth of these amazing companies. Mm-hmm. We can own Apple. That's we right. Can own Amazon. That's right. We can, own, you know, we can own the companies along with the folks who created them. And um, it's, it's that's a great true. system. So. so I get to participate if I want to. Yeah. Just have to be patient through it. Right. Thanks again, Scott. Thanks for joining yeah, us. You're welcome. Good to be here. This is Dollars and Sensibility, and I'm Tom Stone. Thank you for listening, and thanks for getting real with me. So next step is to answer your questions. Come see me, Guild Mortgage, 435-654-9979 or goapplastom.com.